This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. I'm Shana Roth. And I'm Jake Neer. Governor Gretchen Whitmer's fourth State of the State address was full of optimism, tones of bipartisanship. Not very shocking for a speech kicking off an election year for a governor. And overall, the point was really just to highlight the things, as the governor said, that bring Michiganders together instead of those wedge issues that sort of define our politics in 2022. But that doesn't mean the speech didn't make some waves in at least one respect. So there was a lot of discussion during and after the speech about what she had to say about school districts that are currently in virtual mode because of the Omicron surge. I want to be crystal clear. Students belong in school. We know it's where they learn best. Remote learning is not as fulfilling or conducive to a child's growth. In-person learning is critical to social development and mental health. And that's why we will do everything we can to keep kids in the classroom. Now, I know she said she wants to be, quote, crystal clear at the beginning of the clip, but there were at least a few people that thought it wasn't quite clear whether or not she was calling on school districts that are now virtual to end remote learning and bring kids back to the classroom. But if there was any confusion about that, it was pretty short-lived. The governor joined WDET's Stephen Henderson on Detroit Today the very next morning. Stephen asked her directly, are you calling on school districts that are using virtual now to end that and bring kids back into the classroom? Is that the message that you want to communicate to them? To which the governor responded, yes. Now, it's important to note that it's not really the governor's call. In fact, the governor and Republican legislative leaders made a compromise in 2020 that established that it's up to local districts to make those decisions. But some have argued that the governor's rhetoric could have some influence over those decisions and could have an impact on her relationships with teachers unions, other education groups and her own voters who are caught up in this really difficult situation every day. She notes that 98 percent of all Michigan school districts are back to in-person instruction now, but some big districts are still remote. We've got Flint, we got Detroit, that's Michigan's largest district. And something important to consider when we ask ourselves why the governor is adopting the stronger language now on reopening schools is that Republicans are finding that political attacks against Democrats saying that they're harming kids by allowing virtual schooling is resonating with many voters. Whitmer's rhetoric here certainly makes it a little tougher for the GOP to pin that on her in an election year. But as Gongwar Michigan reporter and friend of the show Jordan Hermony noted amid all of this, what's missing in so much of this conversation is the how involved. How do we safely get kids back in class in a way that teachers, schools, students, and parents are comfortable with and without widespread COVID outbreaks making in-person instruction impossible? Without an actual plan, Jordan notes, this is really just a talking point. The governor did say during her WDET appearance that she wants to work with these districts that are now virtual to find a way to support them so that they can get kids back in school. She has met with leaders at Flint schools. But for now, those remote districts are going to keep saying, we'll see online.
So, Jake, during the episode, you mentioned Stephen Henderson of Detroit Today's interview with Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Yeah, and that interview actually made quite a splash, uh, I would say, considering her really clearly defining what she was saying about getting kids back in school. And, uh, you know, the word that I've heard a couple times people use is, uh, you know, utilizing her bully pulpit. Uh, to try to get kids back in school. And she very clearly said, look, you know, it's not, you know, she went further than saying, uh, oh, it would be great if we could get to a situation. We're going to try our best to get kids back in school to saying kids need to get back in school. And hey, districts, I'm talking to you and your remote learning. So uh, with all that being said, um, it was a great conversation with the governor uh, this past week, very illuminating about what she had to say. So we're going to play it here. Uh, Stephen Henderson's conversation with Governor Gretchen Whitmer on WDET's Detroit Today. Despite the fact that uh, we're at or near the peak of this Omicron wave in the pandemic here in Michigan, you didn't talk much about the status of Michigan's public health response to the pandemic. I, I wonder why. Well, I did start by acknowledging, you know, some some aspects of the virus. Right. I mean, you can't ignore it. It's it's still here. It's going to be here for a while. But we can't let that be the only thing we do. We've got to continue to grit our teeth and move forward and build an economy that comes roaring back and creates real opportunity for everyone. And so we've got to keep fighting the virus and acknowledge the incredible people who've stayed on the front lines and the sad loss of 30,000 Michiganders. We also owe it to, to everyone in the state to keep trying to find common ground around issues that can help people get ahead in with all the pressures that we're confronting. So I think it's it, we have to be able to do both. So I, I also was really thinking that you would address the hearings last week uh, at at which it was revealed that more people died in nursing homes and long-term care facilities than we had acknowledged and that the state had more knowledge of that than uh, had been acknowledged before. Uh, I want to give you a chance to talk just about what, what conclusion you think we should be drawing from what we learned last week and again whether there are things that you now think we should have done differently. Well, I know that there are some politicians in Lansing that are trying to politicize this issue. But if you actually read the Auditor General's report, it says that our data was accurate. And uh, the state put the data out that we collected from the residential care facilities. The state's data was accurate, and the state followed all of the CDC guidelines. And because of it, we saved a lot of lives. Now, there's no question in this election year, there are people who are going to try to score political points on this incredible tragedy that played out globally. But we followed the CDC. We, pro- we gave the data that was accurate. And we're going to continue to follow the science and listen to the experts and take, take action to keep people safe. But the narrative that some politicians want to put out there just simply isn't what was reflected in that report. And we're going to continue to hone our policies to make sure that they are focused on on keeping people safe. And you say that the data was accurate, which is which is true. But but it also was misleading in the sense that it didn't quite communicate how many people 
were were dying in these in these facilities. What what's the what's the answer to families whose loved ones uh, are are in those numbers and um, and you know the, we didn't know the, the the data didn't tell us exactly what was happening. Well, I think you know we are looking at what played out globally, and the data was not the state's data. We collected the data from the residential care facilities. And so I I think that that's really important. We followed all of the guidelines by the CDC. We worked with our nursing home partners to make sure that they had preparations in the event they did bring COVID patients back into their facilities. But this virus, we know in the early days when we didn't have tools to fight it and we didn't know a lot about it, took an incredible toll on our elderly and especially people in facilities where many are housed together. So I think it's important to recognize we've, we've learned a lot in this process. We've learned a lot about this virus. We now are armed with more tools to keep people safe. But the, the early data was collected at the residential level, and the state was in charge of collecting it, and we did that. Okay, I want to talk a little more about your speech and what was in it last night. Uh, you highlighted a couple of ways of effectively cutting taxes. Uh, that's, of course, as the state continues to post really big budget surpluses, which only seem to, to continue to grow. You, you pitched two things that you have supported for a really long time. One, repealing the pension tax, and the other, increasing the state portion of the earned income tax credit. Uh, Republicans have their own ideas about tax cuts, uh, broader corporate tax cuts. Uh, there's some talk about lowering the income tax uh, rate as well. Uh, Talk about how open you are to negotiating with them on their plans to get some of your ideas passed as well. Well, I would like to get this done. So I think a little context is really important, though. Ten years ago, when this pension tax, retirement tax, IRA tax happened, uh, I was on the other side of it. I was fighting it because I knew this was unfair and it was mm-hmm. a shift on to people who could bear the burden the least mm-hmm. to pay for a, a big corporate tax cut. They also cut the earned income tax credit, which helps the working, you know, people that are, are working families who are just trying to keep their head above water. They also bore the brunt of that tax shift, and that was my predecessor in the Republican legislature that increased those taxes. I've been trying since that day to defeat it and then to roll it back now that it's, it's law. I am committed to this. This is the most fair way that we can give some relief to our seniors who are living on fixed incomes, who worked a lifetime, played by the rules, and then the rules got changed on them after they were out of the workforce, mm-hmm. and to help working families. We've got to lift people out of poverty, and a million children, a million children are positively impacted when we increase the earned income tax credit. And that's why these are the best ways to help people in a world that is, you know, increasingly squeezing them. And and so to get that through, I mean, that's one of the issues you ran on uh, in in 2018. You you talked about uh, the pension tax. Here we are in 2022, an election year. Um, when you, you're saying you want to you want to get it done again, though Republicans 
are, are not against tax cuts, of course. <laughs> they, they like it, but this was a tax they imposed uh, uh, on people. They've got other ways they want to they lower taxes. Uh, what's the, I guess, what's the push and pull here, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Well, it'll be interesting to see, um, now that these proposals are on the table, the Republicans embrace them or stand in the way of uh, rolling back the retirement tax and, and helping working people. I suspect we can find some common ground here, and that's what I'm going to continue to work toward. You know, I know that this is going to be a, a political year. We, we all know that's going to happen. But that's why last night's speech, I really wanted to focus on the things that we have done together, mm-hmm. whether it is the major, massive investment that GM announced uh, earlier this week, $7 billion in the state, 5,000 good-paying jobs. We worked together to create the tools that helped us make that become a reality. We're putting Michigan on the map. We can find common ground. We've shown we can do it. This is another space where I'm, I'm I'm going to do everything I can to get it done. Yeah. Uh, I also want to talk a little more about what you said about uh, about COVID last night. You said kids need to be in class. I'm a parent. You're a parent. I think we all want uh, want kids back in in school. Are you calling on school districts that are using virtual now to end that and bring kids back into the classroom? Is that the message you want to you want to communicate to them? Yes, and part of the message, too, is that in two weeks, I'll be introducing the budget. We're going to make uh, the largest state investment in public education in the history of our state. And I'm really excited about that. And this is how we give districts the tools they need Mm -hmm. to lower class size, to wrap the kids, the students with supports, whether it's counselors or it is social workers, to help kids... uh, get back on track. This disruption of this pandemic has taken a massive toll on their academics, on their social skills, on their mental health, et cetera, as it has on all of us. We got to focus on getting them in class and back on track. 98% of our districts in Michigan are in person right now. We've got some big ones that are not. I want to work with those districts to help support them so that they can get kids back in school. And no question, money has some some play over, uh, some influence over over all this. But it's also their staffing issues at at schools because of the pandemic that make it very difficult for some of these districts to to, to be in person. What's the answer? What's the answer there? I mean, yeah, you you can absolutely commit more money uh, to schools to to fight this, but if they don't have teachers, if they don't have support staff, how can they be open? I think it is helping people go into this profession and retaining people. And you understand teachers and parapros, all the support staff that makes our schools happen. um, They've been working incredibly hard as they always do, but even more so in the midst of this pandemic. And people are leaving the profession, just same with our, our healthcare. And that's why, we're really focusing. We delivered checks directly to teachers last year. We uh, made greater investments in our schools and so that they could make a, a good living doing this important work. And there's going to be even more investment as you see me unveil the school aid budget um, in two weeks. We're putting the final touches on that. 
but it really is going to have a major investment in recruitment and retention um, in the ranks of our, our educators. Yeah. Uh, Governor, you will stand for re-election this November. We don't know yet, of course, who your uh, opponent would be. But but I want to give you a chance to, to start off with what's the case that you make to voters to give you another four years? What What is uh, your message that says, hey, look, I've done this, I've done this well, and uh, I deserve an, another four years to do it? Well, as I said last night, the state of our state is strong, and we're getting stronger every day. We have navigated the whole world uh, crisis well. We see that um, we are our our GDP is growing. Two hundred twenty thousand people have gotten back into the workforce over the last twelve months. We're making historic investments in the education of our kids, in skills training. We're increasing our our workforce skills, which means bigger paychecks. So a lot of good stuff that is happening in Michigan. I'm not going to get caught up in all the ugliness of of the political world right now. I'm going to stay focused on the kitchen table issues. That's what we have been doing, and that's what we're going to continue to do. We're putting our foot on the accelerator, better paying jobs, more equitable opportunity in Michigan, and um, I'm excited about what the future has for us. And that's all for Mishmash. I'm Shana Roth. And I'm Jake Neer. Thanks for listening.